And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Straight from the Source is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers... They're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Finally, in the month of December, the Wild will have actually some home games. Some home stands are real rarity this season. So go to GameTime to find last-minute deals. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Thanks for tuning in to Straight from the Source. This is one of those bonus episodes I've always told you about, I, I, and this is the first bonus episode. Just for subscribers? Yeah, this, this I think it's debut? just for subscribers. This wow. is the, the Decade in Review a Wild uh, podcast. All Decade Team. All Decade Team. Are. Thank you. Uh, that is the voice of Chad Graff, our Vikings writer, sometimes our Gophers writer, <laughs> uh, joining me from Chateau Rousseau. Out in the burbs somewhere. Come out to the estate sometime. Yep. yep. Hey, you just Great bought spot. a house too. Yep. Um, I'm out in the burbs as well. Yep. So uh, very close to me, in fact. Uh, yep. So uh, glad to have you here. You just actually did your decade in review for the Vikings. We uh, did. This the, is a, the Vikings all-decade team I think looks a little bit different. I'm looking at the, the wild all-decade team right now. I think the Vikings probably ended up in a better spot than the wild <laughs> did as I review this. Um, but yes, check that out at the athletic, uh, and on the straight cash podcast. Yeah. And the one thing across our, uh, site this week is that you're seeing a blitz from every single sport and all decade teams. And the wild one I did earlier uh, this month, late October. And the one thing you realize when you go through this is that there are very few players that, that played for the wild this, this, uh, this decade, uh, they, they in 2012, obviously everybody knows they got Parisian Suter, but really, it, I mean, when you look at their stats and the amount of players that have played for them compared to other teams, it just feels like let's put it this way: it wasn't. It was like one of those where it was a hard all-decade team to put together, but it was pretty easy to make it. Somehow, Thomas Vanek ends up both on the all-decade team and under worst contracts of the decade. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I guess that tells you a little bit about the Wilds decade. Well, I always say that if you listen to me from podcast to podcast, I always contradict myself here in the all-decade <laughs> team. I immediately do it in one file. But I'm trying to, as we talk, because I'm never prepared, I'm calling up the Minnesota Wild stats for 2010 and just to give 
give people an example of what I'm talking about. And boy, NHL.com just drives me crazy, Chad. This really brings back memories watching you pull up <laughs> files on your uh, Microsoft yeah. Word over there. But just to, I mean, just to show you, it's 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 crazy. I mean, like. In in the all in the decade of the Minnesota Wild, the leading the leading goal scorer is Zach Parisi at one seventy five. Next is Jason Zucker and Miko Koivu tied for one twenty four. Wow. Then Nino at one ten. Nobody else with a hundred <laughs> goals. That is crazy. Points, same thing. Four forty three for Miko. Three forty seven for Zach. Three seventeen for Granny. Three twelve for Suter. Nobody else with three hundred points. Wow. And then you go through like. Uh, like just if you do this by skater, just to show people what I'm, t- how difficult this was. Like you go for some reason they have Nino as a right wing on here, but you have Pominville at 206 points. Guess who's the second leading scoring right winger in the Wild in 20 t- in the t- in the decade the tens. Pominville. He's one technically. They have because they have Niederreiter at 228. He's really okay. I look at him as a left wing. They have Pominville one at 206. Next, Clutterbuck, Clutterbuck at 71. Wow. At 71. And I won't keep spoiling it, but Cal Clutterbuck does make the all-decade team yes. that Michael Russo put together. Um, then Justin Fontaine at 68. Wow, that's a name that I have not heard yeah. in a while. Setaguchi at 63, <laughs> and Havlat at 62 points. I mean, that is some slim pickings wow. for right, right wing. Do you think Justin Fontaine is still playing? Uh, I think he's playing in the KHL. In at least he was, or uh, somewhere in Europe. So now left wings, you got Parisi at 347. You got Niederreiter at 228. Zucker at 228. Then it goes down to Heatley at 102. Wow. <laughs> Vanek at 93. Felino at 48. This is what I mean. Who would have thought this team had trouble scoring? Yeah, I know. Who would have thought that? <laughs> and, and then who would have thought that, that you committed to all these guys? And for some reason, they just never you know, got past the, the second round. So without further ado, let's go to, through this uh, all-decade all team. And I will say what we did is that, I, as usual, I overwrote, so we broke it into two <laughs> files. One, we have just the all-decade team, and then we have like sort of like me just trashing the – so what I do in this, in this supp- a supplementary story that I want everybody to read is I take the 2010s, but I rip on the 2000s, which created the problems in the <laughs> 2010s. And it got so long that my editor read it, Zach Pierce, and he's like, you know, I think I'm going to turn this into two uh, – into two files. But I'm looking at the word count now, 3,000 words on what you originally filed, which I think is three times as long as the Vikings all That's 100 that inches if it was in the Star Tribune. <laughs> so, uh, all right, here we go. First uh, line, all-decade team for the Minnesota Wild is who? Zach Parisi. Sure. Miko yep. Koivu. Mikhail Granlin. So, let's, uh, so, obviously, I mean, Parisi's a no-brainer. Yep. Uh, as I write, the ultimate grinder, somebody that, that has been called the Energizer Bunny. And, again, this is the all-decade team. You have to look at what he's done here. And while I know that there are some fans that still feel like for somebody that made $98 million or had a $98 million contract paid like a superstar, that he never became that player. But 170 goals, 58 power play goals, 33 game-winning goals, 1,487 shots, um, tops among all wild players in the 2010s. And by the way, these numbers will be updated by the time you're reading them. <laughs> I just realized I wrote this a month ago. Um, just not for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a lot of good numbers, essentially. Yeah. Uh, a no-doubter there for the first line. Yeah. Miko, um, your favorite guy. <laughs> yes. he Turns out Miko can be a little bit difficult to cover, <laughs> which I know is breaking news to Michael Russo, who has been – have you – was your first year Miko's rookie year? Yeah, my first day was Miko's first day in Minnesota. Really? He had played for the Houston Arrows. Right. Won a Calder Cup there. Uh, but his first day in the Wild Locker Room. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you when I say that I still remember walking in the room and the first person I made eye contact with was a young Miko Koivu. And did you have any – like you're – as people uh, – nobody knows you covered the Florida Panthers, but it's true. You <laughs> did cover the Florida Panthers. When you arrive in Minnesota, do you know their roster at all? Yeah, I mean, know? Miko is funny because Miko is one guy that – I covered the, the World Cup going into the lockout. So I covered Miko for Team Finland dur- during that World Cup. I had no clue then that I was going to wind up the Wild Beat writer a year later. Um, but, you know, just being Saku's brother – you right. immediately are, all right, you got to see how good this guy is going to be. But the person that I was really excited to cover on that team is somebody that also makes this team. I actually know he doesn't because he was in the 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great podcast so far. Uh, but that's Brian Ralston. And it's funny yep. because I was talking to Ralston yesterday um, for this big story I'm doing on Miko uh, for his thousandth game. And we were talking about that day and even even 
Brian looking at this kid like this is the guy that's going to save right, our franchise. Right. Um, so it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. But one of my favorites, Miko Koiva stories. And by the way, the reason why I have Chad on here, I never actually properly <laughs> said this, is that you covered the wild before the Pioneer Press for five years. 13 to 18. Yep. Yep. 13 to 18. Uh to the point that you got the job before you officially got your college degree. You actually flew back to University of New Hampshire after the season. I to, did. Yeah, graduation. It, was, it was a little bit of a whirlwind, but ended up deciding to come here and started April 1st, which, of course, college is not over at that point. But I was offered a full-time job doing exactly what I wanted. I couldn't say no, so I had to sort of put things on pause at the University of New Hampshire. Came, met Russo. I, I had heard about him. I think you even came up in my interviews. It was like, well, there's this Michael Russo guy. He he does do pretty well on the beat, so we just want you to have your eyes wide open to that coming in. I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? And then <laughs> showed up on day one, and I believe uh, Matt Cohen got injured against the Blues in that first game that I covered. But I just remember being there for day one, so I can't even imagine what yours was like with Miko Koivu because my first day, I didn't know up from down or who was even on the team. Or... I thought your first day was the trade deadline. It was. Or that just was No, that first... was my first week. Okay. Because they played a home game, and then we went on the road okay. for the trade deadline. Yeah. So that must have been my second or third so, day. So, yeah. So, uh, and that one is a story. Now, this is going to turn into a podcast, which is, to me, more interesting, by the way, than talking about the All-Decade You can read team. the All-Decade team. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to wind up talking about it here. I can see where this is going to go. <laughs> but the best part of that story is, so I get to San Jose, and they're trying to trade for Ryan Klo. I'm tweeting all this stuff. Ryan Klo will not waive his no wave, no trade clause. I'm like looking at Chad's. Chad's Twitter account trying to find out where the hell he is because he's not <laughs> tweeting. I don't see him in San Jose. And then they trade for Pominville while we're in San Jose. And then, well, while you're in San <laughs> yeah, Jose. Well, I was in San Jose. And then Chad like tweets, just touchdown in Phoenix. Uh, can confirm the wild traded for Jason Pominville. Which I'm like, what the hell is this kid was doing? Was a miracle. Phoenix? I there were probably some people in the front office who just felt bad for me at that point. Were like, yeah, we'll just confirm this to this moron. <laughs> uh, I had had all of my travel for the remainder of the season booked by somebody in the office because I, you know, I was a college student. I I wasn't doing any of this. So somebody in the office booked all of my travel, not knowing the NHL schedule or deadlines or things like that so sent me on a roundabout way to san jose through arizona to essentially be in the air during, during the, trade deadline. the actual deadline and it's even crazy to think like i don't remember what airline this was it must have been it had to be American it had to be uh it had to be u.s air or america west at well the time. now i feel old because while this was just six years ago this was not a time when every plane had Wi-Fi. It was a big deal if your plane yeah. had Wi-Fi. So I didn't have Wi-Fi. I was living peacefully up 30,000 feet in the air as uh, Russo was talking to – I guess Palmdale hadn't been in there at that point, I don't think. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, but I, at I, least you were talking to Chuck Fletcher, I think. Yeah, and uh, because then we got Pominville when he arrived in L.A., at the Staples Center. I think you were there yes. with me. Well, I sort of was because I didn't know where the <laughs> entrance was of the Staples Center. So I'll never forget, like, basically jogging around the Staples Center, maybe six days into the job now, just jogging because I could not find a way to get into the Staples Center, texting people, calling people, but there's no reception. It was a nightmare to get down there. And I think I ended up, like, walking down the ramp at the same time as Pominville, not really knowing who he was or what he looked like, just seeing. You know, he looked like you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was back when we both had shaved heads, so there there were some slight similarities. Yeah, and it was, uh, but but it really was, and I know it was U.S. Air because another funny thing about that road trip right. that I'll remember is th is that you from Columbus had to fly home through. F uh, so this trip that started in California yeah, this was ended in Columbus, right. and flying home, Chad goes through Philly. <laughs> and the reason why I remember this is because almost the same scenario happened where the first game that Chad covered on this road trip, they get Pominville, and the whole point of them getting Pominville was a guaranteed they were going to buy out Heatley after the season. Right. Well, that night Heatley on the last hurt. play in San Jose, right. Heatley tears up his shoulder in a, in a skirmish with uh, Vlasic. 
So they go to L.A., then we go to Columbus, and I'm, I'm rummaging around the locker room, and all of a sudden I see Tony Miniacci, the famous shoulder surgeon from the Cleveland Clinic, and right away my reporter right, instinct's going that he's obviously at the game to see Heatley. And when Russo says his reporter instinct, not many other reporters know the famous shoulder yeah. surgeon. Just an FYI there. Yeah. So I, I see him, and so now I'm doing all this like legwork, and I finally get the scoop that Heatley is going. Not only is Heatley going to Cleveland to have his surgery, have his season-ending surgery, but they're now not going to be able to buy him out. So when that story broke, you were flying to Philly. <laughs> so. And I think that trip. Two other things for that trip. One, I believe you broke that Eric Howell was signing with the Wild. Yes, and I didn't that was know in Columbus. That it was you know a big deal. I didn't know the Gophers hockey stuff. Um, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was, and so. You know, I saw that and didn't think too much of it. Oh, they signed a college kid. They do that all the time. A, didn't realize that. And then B, another scenario in which somebody with the Wild helped me out, uh, thankfully for being a young, dumb kid. When you wrote that Healy sustained an injury, I believe this is still in San Jose, a shoulder injury. He was going to be out. Not all the details and everything, but at least is going to be out and it's alarming. My editor reaches out to me. I'm in the San Jose Marriott trying to go to sleep. It's probably 1 a.m. And he says, hey, Russo just posted this injury news. Can you confirm it? And I'm like, can I confirm it? I just met the coach like three days ago. <laughs> but I take a shot in the dark, send Mike Yo a text and say, hey, this is Chad Graff, that new guy that met you a couple of days ago. Uh, I saw Russo wrote this about Heatley. Can you confirm it You know, as, as a source for me? And he was like, yeah, I won't always be able to do this, but I'll do you a solid on this one. It's true. <laughs> so, that's funny. That's how I confirmed yeah. that one. So that's why Chad's on the podcast. So, <laughs> so we're um, really making good progress yeah. in this all decade uh, team. It's funny they told they told me that this bonus episode should be twenty to thirty minutes, and we're already at fifteen, and <laughs> Sorry, we haven't even got through the first line. Um, so Miko Koivu, the reason why I said that at the beginning of this that um, is, uh, Chad's guy Miko Koivu is uh, one of the funniest Chad Graff story ever was we're in Florida. And usually Miko plays great down there. I think he had a four-point game there once and, and, and maybe even a five-point game. And next thing I know, uh, we're there the following year. It's Chad's first year in Florida. Yeah, first full year. Yeah, and Miko, the, the team has an awful loss down there, and Miko had a, a pretty bad game, if I remember. Or Bad game plus, um, you know, I think the power play was like 0 for 4 on the night. They had some chances to win the game and didn't. Yeah, the uh, it was – yeah. <laughs> so you asked him do you remember the question you yeah, asked Yeah, it was him? something like uh the power play really seemed to struggle tonight what was going on with that yeah and so miko i wish people could see me do this but miko looks at chad takes a deep breath then slowly looks chad's right in front of miko slowly looks left like in slow motion like like hit like Painfully a turtle slow. turtle a looks turtle. left then comes back, gets back to staring at me at, at, at Chadley, and then he decides to now look right and slow motion looks all the way right where I am, looks me in the eyes. <laughs> I'm about to like have, pass out now because I, I'm scared that this guy is going to light up this kid in the locker room. <laughs> and then slowly goes back to Chad, takes another deep breath, and bristles and answers the question. And keep in mind, Miko and I did not have really any sort of relationship at this point. I'd covered maybe 10 games at the end of 13. We're 10 games into the next season. It's not like we can go back and forth with each other and, and he's given me crap before. Uh, this was not that case. Yeah, no, it was... Uh but he answered the question. But he did. Uh, yeah, Miko post game. That was your first. <laughs> that was your first uh, <laughs> uh, experience knowing that that obviously you had to be careful with him. Um, Mikhail Granlund. Uh, he was drafted obviously as a center. Started out with the Wild at center. Eventually, he was moved to right wing, and uh, by Bruce Boudreau, right? It was Boudreau that moved him because he was center when you were you were covering him. Well, it was after the World Cup. Okay. That he went to with Miko. No, I don't think it was Bruce. So it was Yo that moved him to, to right wing. I think so. Okay, and then, but anyway, he broke out the last uh, couple years here. Obviously, led the Wild in scoring in 2016-17, se at the fifth highest point total of the decade, uh, and uh, he he makes up the first line. So again, Parisi, Koivu, and Granlin. Uh, the second Not line, bad. yeah, no, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, they definitely should go to the first round. Uh, <laughs> second line, uh, Jason Zucker. 
Eric Stahl and Jason Pominville. Again, not bad at all. Um, and Zucker obviously uh, had a, had a two breakout years that earned him a huge contract at twenty seven and a half million. Uh, his last year before that contract, thirty three goals at twenty seventeen eighteen. Um, and obviously, we all know everything that he does uh, uh, charitably in the Twin Cities. Eric Stahl, to me, one of the best free agent bargains and maybe in NHL history at three years, three and a half. And for what he did, uh, at least the first two years of his contract, scoring 28 goals his first season, scoring 42 the following year that tied Marion Gabrick's franchise record. Um, and uh, which, by the way, is a bit of an indictment on the team. <laughs> um, and uh, and no forward is logged. This is crazy. In three plus seasons with the Wild, no forward has logged more ice time, scored more goals, and recorded more points than him. But in the 2010s, wow. his minutes in the NHL ranks fourth amongst all NHL wow, forwards. Really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. Um, and absolute professional. I know you really never got to cover him. Uh, total pleasure covering that guy. Um, and then your guy. Jason Pominville, uh, your doppelganger, but somebody you had a really tight relationship with. <laughs> yeah, he was with. just a, yeah. a really good guy. Yeah. I, I you know, would be hard-pressed to say I was the only person that had a good relationship with him because I think everybody who was around him, he was just sort of a fun, easy-to-talk-to, easy-to-get-along-with guy, a guy that on a boring day in Edmonton you could just go up to and you know, probably something would come of it because he was just a good, easy guy to talk to. Do you remember that story that I had where I interviewed him? I think you were still on the team where he either dropped a curse word or even just maybe said the word sucks, right? <laughs> yeah. That, and then he calls me. Uh, he yes. call, either texts me or calls me. He goes, hey, can you call me right away? And it was not a curse word, yeah, like, it was like really. It was like sucks or yes, something, right? right. Damn. Yeah, it was like. He call he he texts me. He goes, "Hey, can you give me a ring real quick?" And so I call him, all concerned that he's going to pull back this story or something. Because I remember it being kind of an interesting story. It wasn't like a scoop or anything, but it was. A, and he goes, "Hey, you know, I just I don't want to be a bad influence on kids. Can you take out that <laughs> word?" And I'm just like, "You are just too nice." Yeah, and he <laughs> handled his contract situation well. Because remember the. Yeah. The Wild traded for him. He gets injured at the end of that season, I think, yes. by Brown. Yep. Um, misses, I think, most of that playoffs. Yeah, he missed, the first, playoffs. he missed the first three games and played the final two, like, right. not healthy. Yeah, and then the next season, he's entering the last year of his contract mm -hmm. and was negotiating all through training camp and really was good about that and said, look, I don't want, you know, once day one hits, if I have a new contract, great. If I don't, I'm not going to let this hang over my head. I just want to focus on hockey. Right. Um, a pro's pro. And then he signed the contract when we were in Duluth, if I remember, right? Yes. Or did we just write the story from Duluth that he was – I can't remember. I just Some, remember golfing in Duluth, yeah, to be but, honest. But we were in Duluth, and we were we were either writing the story that they needed to resign him or that they did resign him. Um, and people that, by the way, say that he hit that contract and all of a sudden stunk uh, do forget that he actually scored 30 goals before that contract actually started. So, so well, this And he's only one of six players in history that have scored 30 for the Wild. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's an indictment Another on its indictment. own. Uh, that's not a bad second line, though, especially when Stahl, you know, is playing at his best. Okay, here's where things get interesting. Yeah, then. well, the depth isn't great. <laughs> um, third line, uh, Nino Niederreiter, Charlie Coyle, and Thomas Vanek. So I took a guy that I said was one of the worst contracts in wild history <laughs> that was bought out. And I put him on the third and line of the all It's just dawning team. on me now. You also wrote worst trade, and it was the trade that landed Charlie Coyle. Yeah. So the worst trade and the yeah. worst contract end up together on the third line. Oh, how about this one, too? The, or Wilder, the other worst yeah. trade with Nino Niederreiter could also be yeah. uh, on there. Yeah, this is uh, all right. This, this, all right. I think we're <laughs> trying to figure out what happened in the 2010s. <laughs> Nino, you know, it never really worked for him with the wild and probably didn't help that he had so many of the same shots on the team and was really sort of hard to climb the depth chart, especially after Greenway. But, um, arguably the biggest goal in wild history, or at least up there in the top yeah, two. him and Andrew Burnett. Right. Um, you know, the thing about Nino that is interesting and people want to slight him because of the way that he played those last couple of years here, but he did have three straight 20 goal seasons in the young twenties, which is something he's all uh, highest scoring Swiss player. Do you ever. remember what was the word that Mike Yo used to describe his shot? Oh, something like it? he had a wicked shot or something. No, it wasn't like wicked. That. There was one word. And then we latched onto that word for like the whole year. Anytime he was slumping like, Oh, where's that <laughs> X shot? But I can't remember what X was. Uh, 
Kinda silly like, hard or something like that. Yeah, it was something like that. It, I think it was silly. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a, yeah. like a silly hard shot. Yeah. Charlie Coyle, your guy. Charlie Coyle, Boston guy. Another, Another guy, guy you guy were that really tight with. Great to talk to a good guy in the locker room. Um, you know, probably. It, I think the Bruins are probably using him to a more fitting role, and he he will didn't become the top six player that perhaps the Wild envisioned or the thirty goal scorer, but um, one of those guys that you know while. While he could go through stretches where he wasn't doing much, he also, when Charlie Coyle was on and playing mad yeah. uh, and frustrated, and really in some of those playoff series, when that would happen when you're playing the same team over and over, he could play some pretty good hockey. Yeah, and and you know what? Again, people like to call him soft, too, but if you remember the one Colorado series, mm-hmm. he played with a separated, separated shoulder, shoulders, and, and then he separated both and went into that Chicago thing, playing on both separated shoulders. Uh, also... Like Pominville uh, and Nino and all these, a lot of these guys, uh, one of the nice, nicest human beings you'll ever meet, which might be the wildest problem, by the way. <laughs> Maybe they just have too many nice guys. Um, yeah, seriously. I mean, you're going through this. I'm like, looking at like, all the left shots, to be honest. Like, the fact that we had to flip yeah. Thomas Vanek over to the yeah, right side well, that's just the, because there's so many so left my, shots. So my third line right wing, Thomas Vanek, I, it was bought out. I have him as the worst contract in Wild history. Um, he was really a left wing here, but I put him on the right just to fill out this yep, crappy team. We need team. the lineup. Um, not, not very good. By the way, I'm, I'm looking again at this, like, nice, like, I mean, Parisi, nice. Koivu, deep down, very nice. Yeah. Uh, Granny couldn't be nicer. Zucker, yep, it's pretty a, nice. It's a good guy all-decade team, too. Yeah, which is... Vanek, you know, I, I think about this every now and then, including when I was... Looking at this list, the fact that while the Wild gave him, what was it, a $7 million three-year contract or something mm-hmm. like that, bef- heading into that offseason, remember the Islanders offered him, I think, seven by seven. Yeah. He would still be in that contract getting paid $7 million. That would yeah. be one of the three or four worst contracts in the NHL right now. If yeah, no doubt. Um, Vanek, though, I, I mean, the one thing here is that you actually look and he averaged 0. 0.6 points per game. Mm-hmm. He just he just didn't fit in here. Yeah, he, he was it was a fast team at the time. It was a fast team. He was not fast. Um, still uh, uh, will always be special in, the, in this area just because for what he yeah. did during those Gophers years. Uh, but in the 2010s, uh, including to the University of New Hampshire, again, it's it's a thin team. But during the 2010s, there's just not a lot to to pick from. And then your fourth line. Also, I just uh, I don't know if having him on the third line as a checking line against other teams first uh, lines is going to go over too well. But, hey, we got some offense on the third. Yeah, line. Good point. Um, maybe we'll move up Clutterbuck to that line and, and just throw <laughs> Vanny on the fourth. I don't know. Uh, fourth line is actually a pretty this good is a line. Tough fourth line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Felino Brodziak, who I still will always go down and say was underappreciated here, yep. and uh, Clutterbuck, who uh, I don't think you were covering the team then, but Clutterbuck started with the Wild because Gabrick, you definitely weren't here. Gabrick uh, hurts himself playing soccer hacky sack at X at uh, National Car Rental Center or whatever it's called now, Office Which, Depot what Center. City? Yeah, Sunrise. What's that arena oh, called now? I don't know. Bank something. It's oh been, yeah, had fifty B-T-N-T different names. D-N-T oh yeah, yeah, or whatever it is. Um, it's had like fifty names. Um, but we're down there, and Gabrick hurts himself playing that soccer hacky sack game that all these players do before games, and so Clutterbeck gets called up and never leaves. And the greatest story of that season was that he drove himself to the Houston airport, parked his car there to get <laughs> rushed to Florida to make his Thinking NHL debut. He was only going to be there for and a bit. Two months later, his car was still at the freaking Houston airport, <laughs> racking, up, racking like up like fifty bucks a it day. It was crazy. Back and, in the pre-Uber Lyft yeah. rideshare days. I'm going to probably see Clutterbuck next week. I want to remind myself on how that worked out because I don't think he ever had a. Eventually, somebody got his car. But I think that somehow the Wild worked out a deal with the airport where he didn't have to pay like a thousand bucks. Was he upset at you at the end of his time? Yeah, because I recall I was able to talk to him for a story. Um, he gave an interview after he was traded, essentially, and I remember being surprised that he called me back. And then realizing, like, oh, he's probably doing this to stick it to Russo because I don't think he's thrilled with Russo right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't remember what happened there, but you're right. But I will say whenever I see him now, he treats me fine. But but usually people at the end of their tenures hates me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm so likable. Um, you know, but it, uh, that is part of the job. Like even today, it's like, you know, it's like I'm just I, it's it's actually kept me up last night because I know that. 
I think everybody knows how much I like Dubnik, and I wrote a story that kind of that really dissected the way that he's played this year and last year. And you just know that it's gonna it's gonna put a dent in that relationship. And the the next time I chat with him is probably gonna be there's some friction there. Do you want to transition to the goalie of the well? well let, let's just real quickly talk on Felino and Brodziak. But the other thing on there is like the other thing is you get to know these families too. And like, like I, like Doobie's family yeah. are the greatest. greatest. Like his yeah. dad is my. I remember his following his sister. dad on Twitter yeah. when it was like following the dealership that he owned yeah. in Edmonton yeah. at yeah. the time. Uh, they were all awesome. But anyway, so every anytime you Brodziak write was like that, that. Um, another guy that was you know a stand-up guy. After he had a bad game, he'd be minus three. He'd be the only guy in the locker room. Um, but also, you know, I, I tend to agree with the underappreciated. He, he helped, I think, they had the number one penalty kill when he was, you know, one of the big factors in it. And then it dropped off quite a bit after he left. I was not here for his 22-goal season, and that was a bit hard for me to fathom in my time covering him, how that happened. But um, yeah. he made the plays when he had the opportunity on the first line. I think, after Heatley, was his, I think Heatley was on his line. Um, I remember he scored his 10th goal when we were in Arizona in December that year. And I forget my lead, but in the lead, I made some pun where I ended the sentence with a bunch of dollar signs. Oh, I remember remember you telling this story. And and Brent Flair was was, freaking (laughs) livid with me because it was, you know, it had, it it created this impression like I was trying to negotiate for him. But basically what I was writing was that this guy that's in the last year of his contract that is at that time, the number one center for the wild, Mm -hmm. which tells you how thin they were in 2010 or or whatever year that would have been, you know, that it just showed you that like you better get, you know, guys never get cheaper. So and they they paid they paid him I think two and a half million for a guy that eventually wound up being the fourth line center but he look he is what he is he, fan, he used to drive fans nuts because he would he'd always have breakaways by being always, in the right position right. and doing things right yeah. and then it was just and that's high what and I used to or, say to fans Chad is that like that the reason why he gets all these breakaways is that he plays the system to a T so responsible and so but the reason why he is a top checking line center is because he doesn't have the hands to be a right. scorer so he gets these breakaways you can't just rail on him because he's constantly missing these things and then Clutterbuck was a fan favorite I remember yeah. seeing so many Clutterbuck jerseys when I first got here fun exciting player ran around and just hit everything that moved he was fun to watch yep absolutely uh so Felino, I I have as the fourth line left wing um and he's really developed a heck of a role here he's also one of the most stand-up people in that locker room i joked with him uh when he got hurt we saw he got hurt in san jose we saw him limping out of the practice rink in el segundo la and i went up to him it was right after garen told us he was week to week and i went up to him like hey do you mind if we still quote you after games you know he just (laughs) laughed um honorable mentions for this all decade team by the way danny heatley Everybody knows how much I love Danny Heatley, but but I kind of tried to do roles here. So even though Danny Heatley might be a better player than a couple of these guys on this team, you're not putting him as your fourth line left wing, keeping Felino off. I tried to kind of do it with the role thing. And remember, Heatley was only here for parts of this decade as well. And while um, he struggled, did have the play that sprung Niederreiter, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, now I regret not putting him in the no. top. Uh, um and also just, I don't know, a stand-up guy. I chatted with him when we were out in California just now. Um, Eric Halla, um, I, the only reason why I didn't put him in there is that, again, your centers to me obviously are going to be Koivu. It's going to be Stahl. Your third liner, you got to have Coil in there. I, didn't, I guess I could have put Coil at right wing. Maybe that's what I should have done. And then to me, Brod, I had a decision to make between Brodziak and Halla. Mm-hmm. And I just think that Halla, we never saw the best of Eric Halla here. A lot of the because the wild right. held him back, maybe arguably, but um, but uh, that that's kind of why I went there. Uh, Matt Cullen again, uh, as great of a ambassador he is, uh, the reality is actually he didn't have the greatest wild careers during his uh, couple stints here. Um, Ryan Carter, I put as a uh, as an honorable mention as well. Um, 113 games with the Wild in the in the 2010s as well, and then uh, Chris Stewart. So defense, uh, we're a half hour in now. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Sorry, Suter, listeners. Ryan Suter, who you yeah. Uh, yeah, another guy you were actually. I mean, it seemed like he he got a kick out of you. I don't know why, but I'm thankful that uh, yeah. he did, and and we were able to. 
hang out a little bit and talk and got to go to his hometown a couple times and do some stories with him and um, a, a no doubter first pair along with his partner on this team, yeah. Jared Spurgeon. And uh, exactly. I mean, Jared Spurgeon, to me, the biggest success story in the whole Fletcher Brent Flair era. And I don't mean that at, at all as slight. I mean, they, they found this guy to the point that now he has the richest AAV in wild history, uh, a fraction above both Parisi and Suter at 7.575. And uh, in every single category with the wild, he's either one or two offensively. Second behind Suter in games. Um, uh, actually, second in wild history in games. For defensemen? Yeah, amongst defensemen behind Nick Schultz. Um, first with 72 goals, second behind Suter with 183 assists, second behind Suter with 255 points, second with 82 power play points, and it just dawned on me, oh, by the way, all these numbers are also out of date. Um, <laughs> Thanks for pair, listening to the podcast, yeah. though. Second Please pair, rate and review when you get a chance. Yeah. Second pair, Jonas Bordine and Matt Dumba. Um, to me, again, no-brainers there. Um, yeah, I mean, for the struggles of the depth on the all-decade team up front, uh, it should be no surprise, given that the back end has been the wild strength, that this is a pretty good top four, and, and I think even rounded out by, you know, the whole six on this blue line. Yeah, and then, you know, third pair was the one that's weird that people are going to look at and be like, what the hell are you smoking, Russo? But, uh, you know, I have Scandella and Prosser. Uh, to me, it's it, a lot of it, I think yeah. is pretty solidly on this team. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and to me, I try to go by games played and tenure on this one because you could put Nick Schultz, but Nick only played of his 743 wild games, which at one point before Koivu was right, was first Most. in wild history. He only 136 of those came in the 2010s. And then Brent Burns. Yes, he's a Norris Trophy winner. He's an absolute superstar, maybe even eventually a Hall of Famer, believe it or not. But he was traded in 2011. And so, he, he wasn't the no-brainer exactly. uh, when he was with the Wilds. So, no, I, I definitely don't disagree with Scandella. And then I think, you know, the options are and really there no other right Prosser. Yeah, and the only other right-shot D would be Burns. Look at you playing this honest and yeah. keeping everybody on the proper sides yeah. in this And plus line. you need a good guy. And you need a – well, there's oh, lots there, of them, but uh, – Yeah, but you yes. need a really good guy. Yes. And that's Nate Prosser. And at one point, I'm behind Koivu, was the second most tenured player on the Wild. If you and maybe the second most yeah. written about by you, you've done quite a few yeah. like Nate Prosser features. Yeah, you wrote about uh, Pominville every day, <laughs> and Charlie, and I wrote about Prosser fifty <laughs> times. Um, and then your goalies, uh, Devin Dubnik and Nicholas Backstrom, to me, no brainers. They yeah. each split the decade. Uh, Nicholas, are Backstrom, you naming one a starter or they? Yeah, uh, Devin starter. Okay, because, because I remember when actually because you covered Nicholas at the tail end of his yep. career, and I, I remember there were times where you're like, "What is the story with this guy?" Because, yeah, because I, you didn't see him when he was good. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, and it just shows you how goalies could fall off. But but when he first got to the Wild, is I think the first European free agent in NHL history, by the way. He comes to the wild and he was just awesome. He essentially took the job from Manny Manny Fernandez and uh, became the winningest goalie in franchise history. D Dubnik, uh, unless things go really haywire, should pass him at some point. Uh, hopefully this year. <laughs> if not next year, if it's not if it's not this year, it's going to be an, a really tough season. Um, but but. You know, to me, I mean, Devin gets here in 2015, right. starts 38 straight games, starts 39 and, overall. And that season, you know, maybe to me yeah. is one of the most interesting wild seasons of Absolutely. franchise history. The way that it was in the tank and not just in the tank because everything was going wrong. They just could not get a stop. Do you remember that last game before they trade for Devin Dubnik? We are in Pittsburgh. And it, it, it got to the point where you felt bad for yeah. Backstrom and I think it was Kemper was the other before yeah. he got hurt maybe. Yeah, he was hurt and um, I forget who the backup was for Backstrom that night that came into right, that game. Somebody came. But I did a Tom Reed interview during the first intermission and I was like yelling on the radio yeah. like they need a goalie. It was this so is insane. obvious. Um, and then I remember we are at the just built courtyard Marriott in Buffalo. Yep. And we get the tweet alert from I think Pierre Lebrun broke it or something. No, P yeah, Bob McKenzie broke it. Okay. Pierre Lebrun was sitting across the table from that's me right, and you were at right, another that's table. Right, yep. And, and I we out looked loud. at each other. Yeah. We're like, Devin, yeah. dude, this is the savior. Devin Dubnik yeah. is coming in here. And uh, it turns out we were just a little bit wrong on that one, at yeah. least for that season. Yeah, no doubt. And and you know what? From 2015 to 18, he was one of the best goalies in the league. And, Obviously, he's taken a turn here uh, lately. But do you remember what happened the game before Pittsburgh in Chicago? Yes, when Ryan Suter came out to talk yeah. to us and yeah. said, it feels like every day is a yeah. bad day. He goes, he's, like, he's like, he goes... It was just you and me. This and was an old trick yeah. that we had where when we really need it, if it 
we needed somebody to encapsulate just how bad things were going in a losing streak. You could turn to Ryan Suter because he would shoot you straight and yeah. not sugarcoat it and not say, well, we're playing okay. We're just you know not burying the puck right now. He would tell you how he yeah. felt. We request him, go downstairs. It's you and I. And, and then uh, Suter goes, this is the best quote of all time. He goes, Zach and I were just talking in the shower. Every day is a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't even know how it came. I don't yeah. think we said, like, do you ever regret signing here? But yeah. he was like, yeah, Zach and I talk all the time about, like, how every day was bad. And I think he even went into, like, you know, we think about what could have been, like, if we went to yeah. Pittsburgh or Detroit. I can't remember if we got remember, that far into it, but I, I remember yeah. looking at each other being like, I can't remember. I don't know if we're swearing on this, but holy bleep. What is, we are getting some amazing stuff right yeah. here. And then at the end, Ryan Suter goes, Sorry, guys. I wish I had better stuff for you today. Like, not realizing he just was as honest as anybody's ever been in yeah. a post-game interview and was apologizing to us for not giving us a better interview. It, it was funny. And I just remember Sickman's face, like his holy hell face during it. <laughs> and it was funny. When Suter apologized to us, we were we were both like, don't. It's, no, okay. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Do better next time. Yeah. And then the coaches, I have Yo as the head coach. And Bruce Boudreaux is the honorable mention. And the only reason why I went with Yo is, um, is I mean, two second-round appearances. Mm-hmm. Only two since uh, the Wild went to the third round in 2003. So, to me... And, um, you know, while we had some fun, I think, covering those blow-ups and the whoop-dee-bleep-and-do and, do and <laughs> uh, some of those fun stuff... It, he did seem to press the right buttons, coincidence or not. They did turn it around after a number of those. Yeah. Uh, some we were supposed to see and others we just sort of lucked into seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the one in Arizona. The one, one in Arizona was the best. See, uh, in which we, the hotel in Arizona is directly across from the stadium. We're there just drinking coffee, bored. It's 10 a.m. Like, let's just go over to the rink. We know that we got a text from the PR person saying, hey, don't come. Practice got pushed back. Don't, you don't need to come right away, but we were bored. Let's just go hang out at the rink. Go to the rink right as Mike Yo is losing his, his bleeping mind. At- like, we, we're in the Carters there, and the Carters at that Glendale Arena is essentially like marble. So everything is echoing and they have because of the hotness in Arizona, they have these black curtains right. that you can't see the Locking ice the from there. So all we is we we're hearing pucks and right. then we hear yo screaming. And we're and, like practice wasn't supposed yeah. to start for a half hour. Um, what are they doing? And so we all of a sudden we are just like we got we're essentially writing stuff down. And that was one of the things where he was just like. You remember what he said? He's like, you think Calgary is better yes, than yes. us? You think Arizona, you know, Arizona is better than us? You think freaking San Jose? And I think we may have had the reporter's uh, intuition to hit record on the yeah. recorder and just sit down in a spot where hopefully he didn't notice that we were in the arena yeah. at that time. Um, but, you know, one way or another, coincidence or not, Mike Yo did get those teams to turn around and get out of some of and, those And that was the whoop de Right, he said that. At I that think that one? was a, I think that was the home one. Okay, um, where he was basically saying, "What do you feel sorry for yourself? You're not doing this well. Whoop de effing do, yeah. get it together." Yeah, and but I remember after the one at home, people basically said that the one in Arizona that he manufactured. But again, it, no, we he, it yeah. was not supposed to ever get out. And, Nobody was. And supposed you know what? To know what that. Like deep down, what I do wonder is if maybe he pushed back practice for us. To you know, told Carly text them practices back because he knew that he was going to do this right. on the ice. He I didn't want us to think be that's there. What it was. Right. But he, uh, but he did he not. He did not want it. No, he did not. Like it wasn't like the one in Minnesota where maybe he wanted to make a scene right. in front of that the, one. The, he uh, knew cameras were yeah. there, reporters were there. Arizona, yeah. he did not know that. Yeah. Um, and then just so you know, so the second, the Wild Decade interview uh, is their best and their worst of 2010s. This is where I kind of rip on the 2000s and. It, kind of explain where the wild went wrong and how they got to this point where it's now really affecting them a decade later. Uh, but your be- my best moments that I put of the 2010s were um, Niederreiter wins in an OT. It's still one of the most yeah. amazing games uh, ever that I covered. The wild were down five. I think the best hockey game I've covered. Yeah. Wild were down five different times in that game. Four mm-hmm. different times in that game because they won 5-4, yep. right? 1-0, 1-1, 2-1, 2-2, 3-2, going on. And, and on. it was, it was uh, Niederreiter at two goals, including the win. Spurgeon had the tying goal with like mm-hmm. two minutes a left. Great goal, yeah, too. A great goal where he, McKinnon goes yep. sliding Pulled by him. Yeah, that was it was beautiful. awesome. That Who was else scored the, in that game? That how it may have. That was the start, though, of not now Lapanta. Yeah, it was that game. I think at the end of yeah. regulation after Spurgeon ties it yeah. there. 
you know, cleaning the ice and getting ready for OT when Anthony Lepanto walked by and uh, perhaps in a jabbing way wanted to just check in on how the writers on deadline were handling the stress of a game seven going to <laughs> overtime uh, on, you know, uh, an hour over in time zone, which was not helping things. I think it was like an eight o'clock central start. I think it was like nine thirty because it was, it was one of those. Remember how they do those stupid eight? It was crazy start? late. Yeah, maybe I remember it was eight thirty. Having to file like the story of the biggest wild win in decades in three minutes after the game. Oh, it was brutal. And uh, yeah, so Lapanta comes up and he's like, "So uh, does this change uh, how you write your story?" And I turned to him and screamed, "Not now, Lapanta!" Not in a playful way, like, "Hey, come talk to us. I'm just giving you a hard time." Like, get the f out of here. I gotta write 800 words in the yeah. next six minutes. And it was. And those games are stressful because just imagine yeah. if you're at home again. The time zone is different, so you are. On, it's not even you're not on deadline. You have to have a story written, and you're writing one. The season's over. Two, they're advancing. So you're working two files. You're trying to make sure that certain pieces are in both files. Then it's confusing because you don't know. You have to change the wording in certain. Fi- I've and been it, at the athletic too long because now yeah. I, I forgot that we used to have to have the two different Microsoft Word files open, yeah. writing about what a great win, and then flipping over five minutes later and what a horrible loss, and then back to what a great win. <laughs> Uh, the other day in Arizona, we're there in Dame Mizzitani. Um, He's like, you know, it's like a minute left in the game. And I turned to him. He's like crafting his lead still. I'm like, Jesus, it's just game 20, 20 of them. And he turns to me, he's like, you know, you don't have deadline anymore. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Never I mind, forgot. Never mind. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, so, so that uh, was definitely uh, the best moment, I think. Second best moment, or, or regardless of being uh, first, second, whatever, is uh, Wild Sign Parisian Suter. You know, regardless of what that does to the organization, this is a team that was going nowhere. Right. The building was empty. They couldn't make the playoffs. They had no fanfare. And I think Wild fans now, or maybe younger Wild fans now that don't remember seven, mm-hmm. eight years ago or were too young then, don't realize how excited this market was and what that did for the business of this team. And say what you want about Parisian and Suter, they made the team relevant. They made the team competitive. This team made the playoffs six years in a row. They're not the general manager of this team. They're not the ones that are in charge of putting a supporting cast around them to help them win a cup. They, in my mind, did their job, and now they're 35, and the team's feeling the pain of those contracts that we all knew one day they were gonna, they were gonna pay. But the reality is that was a huge moment for Wild history. Sure, and remember, I think Barry Melrose picked them to win the Stanley Cup that year. There was yeah. so much excitement. Uh, you know, it was sort of strange that it was also around the lockout, and so there wasn't a chance to come see them right away. Um, but even just hearing the stories about that. 4th of July and how various people found out like running out from their cabins and and Mm -hmm. running to the docks to tell brothers, sisters, parents. Um, It's cool just to hear even everybody's story about how they found out. Yeah. It's the hardest I've ever worked uh, to, to break a story. I mean, I I was, I mean, it's a joke, but I was literally hiding in the freaking bushes. at St. Russo still got a cut on his forehead. Yeah, I know. Um, 2016 Stadium Series I have as an honorable mention. That was John Trichetti's yeah, uh, NHL debut. Um, Parisi's opening night hat trick in uh, Colorado in 15 was just awesome. Remember the Wild were down 4-1 in that game. Scored the scored the uh, right uh, the four fastest goals in Wild history, I believe. Um, was was there some after festivities like at the end of the game where maybe Cody McLeod was put out for a face off with eight seconds left and. Yeah, Gramlin was pinned down. I can't remember yeah, if that was yeah. that game or not. But. I, I don't know. One of them, I went after them for that for going after guys like Gramlin. I think it was that because then they came home. So. To, right. Yeah, you, that's exactly what happened. No. Or was that a different? No, that would have been a different game because I wouldn't have missed the home opener. But I, but there was one game where McLeod. I think what I did is I brought up Granlin from that game because he went after Spurgeon later in that year, and that was when I was in where Patrick Waugh went after right. me for what I wrote about McLeod. <laughs> right. Uh, best that free- was so ridiculous. Yeah. Put that on the worst moments of uh, of the 2010s. Yeah, exactly. Patrick Wan is pregame interviewed, bringing you up. Yeah. Um, best free agent signing, Eric Stahl, without a doubt, of the 2010s, I think. Um, uh, worst free agent signing, I put Kyle Quincy. Attempted oh, I attempted to go with Kyle, Kyle Quincy. Quincy. <laughs> what, a, what a stupid signing that was. Uh, yeah, I just, I still never wrong. understood. I just wrong. never understood that signing. And then it just, it others perhaps cost more money, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. not wrong. Yeah. 
But uh, Vanek, so who did you go with? Vanek? I went with Vanek. You went with uh, our just, third I mean, line three right years, wing. Nineteen, nineteen and a half million. There was a lot to choose from that year. I mean, there were some awful trades too. I mean, you know, one. But it happened in '09. But one thing I was I was tempted to do was you know letting the, you know in terms of decisions by Chuck Fletcher was was reacting to I understood him not giving Gabrick the eighty million that he wanted, but then reacting to it by adding Martin Havlat it just was an absolute mistake, and he was eventually able to get out of that by acquiring Heatley. Um, best trade uh, without a doubt, Doobie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, need a writer right up there, but Doobie. Yeah. Doobie, I mean, saved that wild season, and he uh, and really was great the next season too. And yeah, I, I still um, that was probably my favorite season to cover, and just probably one of the most fun for the Wild fans too. Um, an awesome season as he he was the best goalie in the entire NHL for the that second half after joining the Wild. Exactly, and then the worst trade that I had was you know again I'm tempted to go Niederreiter for here. Rask. There are a lot of options. I think I would go with Niederreiter for Rask. The only reason why I didn't is that is that like I still get the premise of what right. Paul was trying to do. He had Too a five and a half wings. million dollars. Fourth line left winger that was playing like crap, and he couldn't and Bruce couldn't find him a spot, so he just felt like I got to get rid of him. I got to get rid of him. But I think, what, and as we I know think, from your reporting, did and so I just without think scouting. As a rookie but. GM, what happened was that he was so anxious to get rid of him that he finally couldn't believe that right. finally Found after somebody. months of trying to get rid of him that somebody was willing to take him on, and he looks at it just. I say, all right, you know what? We're actually, it's a cost savings where he didn't realize that he was creating a bigger problem in their lineup by adding a player that is just completely garbage. And um, and now they're going to have to buy him out. So it is a cheaper buyout, but mm-hmm. but still not a great trade. But to me, I... To so that me, gets the honorable mention and yeah. worst trade goes to... To me, the worst trade, and again, it's it's hindsight's twenty twenty. I understand what they were doing at the time. But it was Brent Burns. Um, you know, Brent Burns went on to win a Norris, and the Wild don't have any pieces of that trade anymore, I guess, unless you take it like seven degrees and you, you could say they have Ryan Donato. But they acquire a first-round pick. They acquire Devin Setaguchi, who is not good here. And they acquired Charlie Coyle, who had a good career here, and they were able to trade him for Ryan Donato on a pick. But the reality is that Burns went on to be exactly what this team needed um, and an absolute thoroughbred in San Jose. And maybe it's a more pa- tolerable trade if they didn't whiff completely on the Zach Phillips draft right, pick. Right, right. Uh, you know, Ricard Raquel went a couple picks later. If you draft him, maybe right. today we're like, oh, you know what? They, they, you know, in hindsight, you know what they were doing. Just, just to give everybody a quick history lesson on the Burns trade. One, his agent was Gabrick's agent, so Chuck really didn't <laughs> want to deal with him, and and was worried about what he was going to ask in terms of free agency. And maybe even had an inkling of what he was going to ask. But the other big thing was they were they had a plan in mind to go out the following offseason um, and go out and get a Parisi or a Suter, and they wound up with both of them. So that's the real reason for the and trade. And like you said, if Phillips even turns into like a 300 NHL game guy, that trade perhaps looks a different. And remember, Phillips had all the skill in the world, had hands, could shoot. Um, if memory serves correct, just couldn't skate. Yeah, he just couldn't skate. Fitness was an issue. Um, yeah, just couldn't skate. He'd look good on this team. Um, so <laughs> nothing well, like some subtle shots of the 2019 squad in yeah. the middle of the all decade team. So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, all decade team, great uh, defense. Yep. Um, great defense. Endings pretty good. If you top did. two lines and fourth line, pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but a team that's probably going to lose in the first round, which is fitting. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, or, or go to the, to the second Blackhawks. round. They're not, I mean, I'm sure the Blackhawks all decade team is something even given their recent struggles. And, and that's the reality is that you look at the all decade team and you could see why the wild had trial trouble getting over the hump. You know, yep. it's a good team, right? But not a great team. Yep. And that's the all decade team. Chad, uh, I know you're swamped. You're Viking in the middle of your bye. I bring you in here. <laughs> um, and, uh, appreciate you coming down all the way to the burbs. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo, and thanks to Chad Graff for joining. To subscribe to The Athletic, please go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. That's theathletic.com slash straight from the source. 